I'd just like to welcome everyone who's joining us uh, for our live stream. It's only one part of our service here at City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. If you want to be part of the whole thing, come and join us in person. That's the best option. Or if you want to join us via Zoom, drop us an email. Uh, today, we're going to look at three places in the scripture. Uh, first of all, uh, Mark chapter 10, then Matthew 28, and finally, Ephesians chapter 1. Mark 10, Matthew 28, Ephesians 1. Before we read, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the Bible. I pray that you would speak to us through the, your word in the power of your spirit today. And I ask that your Holy Spirit rest upon me so I can proclaim your word to your people boldly and faithfully to the glory and honor of Jesus. For we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. In Mark chapter 10, we pick up with verse 42. And Jesus called uh, the disciples to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Matthew 28, picking up with verse 16. This is after Jesus' resurrection. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And finally, to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, picking up with verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. A number of years ago, I was in a, a meeting in the city of London. I can't really disclose a lot of the details, 
but it was a, a closed door confidential meeting. There was about five or six of us in the room and there was a fairly significant decision to be made. And, uh, and there were two of us that were kind of advocating for this decision, uh, somebody that you don't know. And he was just kind of talk, 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 talk. You know how some people are. And the people uh, on the other part of the meeting, they were just like, you know, you, you felt like they were about to fall asleep. Uh, then there came a moment, it came to be my turn, and I started to speak, and suddenly it was just like everybody was at attention, and it was dead quiet, and I took about three minutes to say what I had to say, and the leader of the, the meeting, the person from the city, said, all right then, there's nothing much to say about that. And we went on to get exactly what we wanted. It was, and, we, and it happened in some extraordinary ways. Uh, I, as I said, I can't tell you all the details. But I also remember a number of years ago, uh, Karen and I were doing a youth camp. This was back in the United States. And one young man was struggling with some demonization. And his youth, youth leader was there. And so we normally just allow that to go on, you know, uh, let the youth leader take care of it. And after a few days, I mean, this young man just wasn't getting free. And so finally, I said, okay, enough of this. And I just stepped in, commanded it to stop, and sent everybody away. I just worked with the young man, and about 30 minutes later, he was free. And the issue had been resolved. Uh, I remember also another situation, a, a woman in uh, my first church uh, that I'd known, I'd visited her, she was crippled, she was being cared for by her daughter, and she was in a really bad way. And so the daughter called me because the, the mom just couldn't get settled. She was uh, apprehensive, nervous. She, at that time, she wasn't talking very much, but you know, it was just a pretty intense situation. And so I went and almost immediately after I got there, I spoke a few words and immediately she calmed down and then died. And it was just very peaceful. Uh, one of the things that's amazed me for the last 35 years plus of marriage is that how Karen deals with kids. I mean, you look at these guys here. And, uh, you know, I've seen Karen walk into a room of chaos, that is young children, and, uh, and just speak and suddenly bring order into the chaos when other adults have been kind of like pulling their hair out before that. And I look at it and I think, this is just extraordinary, you know. I, I just can't, can't quite believe it. And uh, many of you might uh, remember Amy that lived with us for a few years while she was studying here in London. And uh, uh, we met her when she was about three years old. That's when we met her parents and everything. So she was quite small at the time. And I had met her dad uh, on a train and they had come down to City Temple from Luton, uh, north of Luton, uh, to visit. And they made the decision to engage in friendship with us based on how Amy responded to, to us. This Amy that never talked to other people, especially strange people with strange accents, was just warm and friendly and open to us. And we were able to uh, develop a deep friendship, and clearly we've had an influence on her life 
and some other things. Now, all of these stories that I've just shared with you, I don't share them uh, to make myself look great in any way, shape, or form, but all of these stories are an example of spiritual authority. Every single one. It's not because uh, we're more clever than other people. It's not because we're better educators than other people or more pastoral. In fact, I often say that I'm not very pastoral. I don't have a lot of empathy. You know, it's like, oh, poor baby, we'll get out of the hospital bed and let's get going. You know, there's stuff you need to do. Uh, you know, that's why my pastoral care. So it, it's not there. It's all about spiritual authority. And spiritual authority shifts things that are going on. It shifts things that happen in the natural. It shifts relationships. It shifts things that happen in the spiritual realm. Spiritual authority is basically uh, authority in the spiritual realm, the heavenlies, that area that surrounds us. It's not, when we say spiritual realm or heavenlies, we're not talking about heaven, like where God's throne is. We're talking about that invisible reality that is around us all the time that affects what we do and how we live every single day, even if we don't know about it. Now, we don't see germs, but we know the effect, right? And you don't see the spiritual reality, but if you watch closely, you can see the effect. And so spiritual authority is this freedom and permission to exercise our influence as Christians in, God, uh, in the heavenly places for God's kingdom. It's the authority that we have as Christians and as the church. It's what was called, we saw last week, the keys of the kingdom. And last week we looked at this, and if you haven't read that or listened to that sermon yet, I'd encourage you to do that uh, because it's very important. But you might remember we said authority is the permission or freedom to do something, and power is the ability to do something. And you have to have legitimate authority in order to exercise power legitimately, not only in the spiritual realm, but also in the civil realm, in the familial realm, or in the personal realms of authority. You have to have authority in order to exercise power legitimately. And ultimately, Jesus has all authority, all civil authority, all familial authority, all personal authority, all spiritual authority belongs to Jesus Christ because he died on the cross showing the greatest love and then rose bodily from the dead. And so he has that authority. And spiritual authority is the highest form of authority because it influences all of the other ones. And so it's important that we understand what that is. And it's the highest form of authority because spiritual authority is not limited by time and space in the same way, say, a civil authority is. Like if I travel to the United States, I'm no longer under the authority of the king. I'm under a different authority. But in spiritual authority, wherever I go in the world, I walk in that spiritual authority. Doesn't matter. And I've seen it time after time. That's the reality for us. It's that spiritual authority that gives us the ability to pray for Ukraine with confidence and ask God for victory there. So spiritual authority is essential for us. The only thing that limits our spiritual authority is our love. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. So as the bride of Christ, Jesus has given us his authority 
to act on his behalf. It was extraordinary. We have authority to heal, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 9. We have authority to announce God's good news, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 9. We have authority over the power of all the power of the demonic, according to Jesus in Luke chapter 10. We have authority to forgive sins, according to Jesus in John chapter 20. And that just names a few of the areas of our spiritual authority. City Temple, you know, I talk about my personal spiritual authority, but the church has spiritual authority as well. I mean, City Temple carries an enormous spiritual authority in, uh, uh, sorry, in London. An enormous spiritual authority. One church leader told me years ago that City Temple has always punched above its weight. You know, that means that City Temple has exercised a greater degree of spiritual authority than any church of similar size could do. You know, that's our authority. Corporately and individually, having this spiritual authority gives us the ability to influence everything and everyone in the world around us. It doesn't give us the ability to control, understand. Spiritual authority doesn't give you the ability to control anyone. That's kind of acting in witchcraft. But it gives us the ability to influence people. It gives us the ability to influence situations toward God's will and toward God's kingdom. And as the church and individual Christians, people within the church, we can grow in our spiritual authority. And that's really what this sermon is about. How do we grow in our spiritual authority? Because everybody needs to grow in spiritual authority. It's not just for our pastor. It's for everyone. We can grow in it. But if you don't grow in it, if you don't use it, you can lose it. So spiritual authority is not something that is a static quantity that you always keep. You can get it, you can grow in it, but you also have to keep it and maintain it. Now, why should we bother? Well, we grow because the depths and quality of our influence for the benefit and well-being of people, of groups, of situations, wherever we are, increases with our spiritual authority. If you want to have more influence on your kids in a positive way, grow in your spiritual authority. If you want to have more influence in your workplace, to see good things happen in your workplace, then grow in your spiritual authority. If you want to have more influence in your neighborhood, then grow in your spiritual authority. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So we're going to look at that. I'm going to give you six ways to grow in your spiritual authority. Number one, and it is number one for a purpose, you have to grow your relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember, all authority is relational. It comes out of relationship. All authority is relational, and that's especially true with spiritual authority. And God is the one who delegates all authority. All authority belongs to Jesus. He's the one who gives it. And so if we want to receive it, which is really the only way we can genuinely grow in it, we got to get closer to Jesus. 
We've got to grow in our relationship with God because you have no spiritual authority. You have no genuine spiritual authority. You can get some false spiritual authority, but you have no genuine spiritual authority without a genuine relationship with God. Remember the seven sons of Sceva we talked about last week, the guys that tried to cast out the demon, but they were, didn't know Jesus. And so the demon cast them out. And so we don't want to do that. So all spiritual authority outside of a relationship with God, outside of what God has delegated in Jesus Christ, is counterfeit or it's stolen. All of Satan's authority in the world is stolen. Satan has no genuine authority of his own other than what he's received from human beings. So we need to know God as God is revealed in the Bible. It's not the God of our imagination. It's not the Jesus we want or the Holy Spirit we think we know. It's the God who's revealed in the pages of the book. That's God. That's the one we got to know. And we got to obey God. If we're going to have a relationship with him, we have to obey him in conformity with the Bible. And we have to be faithful to God as God wants us to be, as he tells us in the Bible. And frankly, God doesn't make us guess at these things. We can read it and we can know and we can grow in it, but we have to be open to it and really listening to it. So that's number one. The second way that we grow in our authority is to grow in our relationships with other people and groups. Or another way to say it is we grow in our love for other people and groups. As we said last week, spiritual authority is the muscle of your love. Your spiritual authority anywhere and everywhere, including the church, really depends on your authentic love for people and groups. If you want to grow in authority for your children, you need to grow in love for your children. If you want to grow in authority for your church, you need to grow in love for your church. If you want to grow in authority for your neighbors, you need to start loving your neighbors. And on and on and on and on. You know, you increase your love and you increase your spiritual authority. But you got to remember, love always involves pain and sacrifice. It always involves pain and sacrifice. Remember, we said that Jesus has the greatest authority because Jesus showed the greatest love in the cross. And that's the level of love that we need to show as well. That self-giving commitment to other people for their well-being and benefit, that's what biblically what love is all about. So how do we grow in that love for people? Well, we grow by devoting ourselves to others and showing that devotion by our actions and our thoughtful presence among them, listening to them, caring for them, showing that we're passionate about them. One of the reasons why sometimes when Karen and I are on holiday that we come in for the Zoom, you might think it's so we can keep an eye on people. It's not. It's because we're devoted to you guys. We know we need to get away, but at the same time, we don't really like to get away that much. But we know we need to, but we're trying to communicate, and I think a lot of people realize, yeah, there's a devotion in there that comes through. If you want to grow in your love, we need to give ourselves freely 
without seeking any kind of reward or acknowledgement. I mean, the world teaches us to be reciprocal in our relationships. Oh, I'm going to take you out to eat. Now it's your turn to take me out to eat. I'll buy you a pint. You buy me a pint. You know, whatever we do, uh, reciprocity. But love says, no, I don't need it to be uh, reciprocated. I'm just giving. It's like the, the love that parents have for their children. Oh, I seldom have I ever heard a parent say, you know, the only reason I'm taking care of you when they're, you know, three or four years old is so when you get older and I'm old, you can take care of me. No, they don't do that. So they just love because that's what parents do, right? So you give yourself freely. You invest yourself. And that includes all your resources, your time, your energy, your attention, all these kinds of resources. You give it freely to people. And it also means that you have to guard yourself against being selfish or self-serving. Because there are a lot of times when people are serving because of what they get out of it. Like someone might say, well, I want to be a worship leader. Well, why do you want to be a worship leader? Because I like to sing in front of people. It makes me happy. And well, okay, that's fine, but that's not a reason to be a worship leader. You're out for yourself, and that's selfishness. And frankly, a lot of times as Christians, we've gotten very good at disguising our own selfishness, our own self-serving activities. And we need to really look out, examine ourselves carefully about that. We have to make sure that we're not giving in order to receive. I've seen this over the years. You know, at City Temple, when we were in our building, we had a lot of organizations that would come and want to do some meetings with us. And they heard us talk about partnership. And sometimes they'd look at our, our vision or things on the, on the website. And they'd come, oh, wow, we love your vision. Your vision is exactly like ours. Uh, and, uh, and we really want, want to be partners together in this. And I said, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. And at first I'm like, okay, bring it on, you know, because I was that kind of guy. Uh, but then I began to learn that, you know, a lot of these people would say, well, we want to be partners. And then as soon as we say, well, that sounds good. And then they say, okay, what can you give to us? We want uh, to use the rooms freely. Uh, we want, maybe you can give us some money. Maybe you can help subsidize us with this. Well, that's not partnership. That's not love. They were only doing this, it was a dance in order to get a little bit more from us. And we became sensitive to that. If you want to grow in your love, you have to demonstrate your commitment. You know, in my first church, uh, it was hard. You know, ministry wasn't quite what I thought it would be when I started out. And so after a couple of years, I started thinking, okay, where am I going to go next? You know, uh, maybe I'll find a bigger church somewhere. Maybe I'll find a more exciting thing to do. You know, and I was thinking about all of that. And that's when I actually came across uh, a leader who first told me that spiritual authority is the muscle of your love. And it blew me away. And then I remembered, well, God called to my mind how I would tell every couple that I would counsel who were about to get married, I'd say, you know, your love is about your commitment. And then I realized what have I been doing? I was undermining my commitment. It would be like me being married to Karen and thinking, well, who am I going to marry next once Karen's gone? You know, I've got a few candidates here. I'll rank them. You know, maybe I'll start to put out some, some uh, 
uh, messages along the way. Uh, and, you know, that would be really, really bad, wouldn't it? You don't do that, right? And so I realized, and I, and I got up in front of the church and I repented the next Sunday for my undermining my own commitment, and my own love, and things shifted extraordinarily after that time. But I had to make some sacrifices along the way. Your long-term persevering commitment is a demonstration of your love, and it will be one of your biggest tests along the way. Will you persevere in this commitment? Because there will be a lot of challenges to your commitment all the time, whether it's to your kids or anything else, there will be challenges to your commitment. There will be challenges to your, your commitment to your family or your church or your city or even your nation. But if you undermine your commitment to any of those things, you are undermining your spiritual authority. It's like I said last week, if you say, I hate my job, you've just undermined your spiritual authority. If you say, well, you know, I'm going to look for a lot of other things because I, I don't really want to work this job and I'm going to keep, keep looking and keep... Uh, you're undermining your commitment. You're undermining your authority. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to look for a new job. It's not. But you have to keep in mind the pluses and minuses. It's for the present and the future, your commitment. And your lack of commitment, whether it's visible or invisible... Even if it's in your mind and you don't tell another person, the Lord knows, the devil knows, and it undermines your spiritual authority because it undermines your love. So if you're going to grow in love, you must actively pursue the benefit and well-being of other people. You're constantly saying, what is going to help other people? What's going to promote their well-being? Not my well-being. You got to let the Lord take care of your well-being. And people need to know and believe that you have their best interests at heart before they will give you any spiritual authority. They have to know it and believe it that you have their best interests at heart. Doesn't mean, by the way, that you do everything they want you to do. But you do have to have their best interests at heart. Over the years, I've had a really strange phenomena happen to me. Uh, at least half of the people that I've fired, and yes, yeah, I, am, I am a minister, and yes, I have terminated people's employment. Uh, and about half of the people that I have fired over the years have either at that time or slightly later come back to thank me for doing it. Why would you do that? It's not because I brainwashed them, in case you were wondering. It's because they realized that my termination was in their best interest. Do you know what? I never will terminate anybody without saying, have I done everything I can in my personal power to help this person succeed? It's because I love people. I'm after them for what I can do in their lives, not just what they can do for us. And people need to know and believe that you will protect them and not expose them. That's why I don't talk about people behind their back. I don't do that. I keep confidences. And people know this. I've had people come 
wanting to attack employees in the past. And they'll start to ramble on a bit and they'll see my face and they'll say, oh, you're not really gonna do anything because you, you're gonna protect them, aren't you? I say, yeah. You know, there's issues, I'll deal with it. And I'll deal with it in my own timing, but you know, I'm gonna deal with it. That's the way it works. And I'm that way with people. So they gotta know that. So that's number two. Uh, if you wanna grow in your authority, you gotta grow in your love. Gotta build that love, it's, it's absolutely essential. Number three is you must submit to God-given legitimate authority. You will not have authority unless you learn how to submit to authority. And submission is the spirit of cooperation with authority, which is for your benefit. Submission is not about you do everything that I say. Submission is that you cooperate with me in authority as a pastor, for example, so that I can be the best pastor I can possibly be. Because if I'm the best pastor I can be, that's good for you, right? If I'm the best boss I can be, it's good for the employees. If I'm the best mother or father I can be, it's good for the kids, and so on and so forth. When you join a church, you come under that authority. Even when you attend a church on a regular basis, you're coming under the authority of the minister, the elders, uh, and the spiritual authority of the church overall. And you need to cooperate with that authority. If you don't cooperate, it won't work. And you'll never get authority in that church. And God will always, underline that three times, always test your submission to authority. Always. Remember David and Saul. David had to live under Saul for several years. Even though he was already anointed to be king, he still had to respond to that authority. So we need to respond to authority in godly ways, which is basically commit with it fully or peacefully leave. Now, if the time ever came where I said, I can no longer live under the authority of the Parliament of England, you know, I've got one choice. And that's not to blow up Parliament. The choice is to move back to the United States. You know, if you can't live under the authority of a church, it's simple. You just go to another church. It's quite easy. It's much better than walking into disobedience. So you have to refuse ungodly responses to legitimate authority, such as resisting the authority. You know, some people are just passive. It's like the little kid, you know, the parents, as you know, said, you need to sit down. And he sits down and he says, well, I'm sitting down on the, on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know, that's a resistance to authority. And that's sin. Or some people try to usurp authority. They try to take it for themselves. They do things where they want to be in charge. They want to be in authority. And that's sin. Other people try to rebel against authority. Maybe replace it with another authority that I like better. All of those are sinful responses. And ultimately, God will not entrust you with greater spiritual authority unless you have submitted to spiritual authority. And God continually challenges that. I could, don't have time, but I could tell you at least a half a dozen incidences where I've had to submit to the authority of the other elders, even though I didn't really want to at the time. But you do it. 
And by the way, just so you know, the elders were always right in those situations. But even if they were wrong, it would have been the right thing to do. So that's number three. Number four, exercise spiritual and personal authority over your own life. You got to begin with you. If you're not showing self-control, you have no authority anywhere. Oh, you need to know who you are in Christ and believe it and accept it. If you don't know who you are in Christ, the demons don't care. They won't pay attention to you. You have to exercise self-control. Take personal responsibility for the things that you do. When you sin, repent. And say, God, I'm sorry, and do it quickly. If you have a demonic attack, then deal with it. Take authority over it. Don't say, oh God, please deliver me from the demons because God will say, well, I've already given Jesus all authority. He's given you authority. Take the authority and kick him out because you don't have to submit to that. God will increase your spiritual authority in the lives of others once you control yourself in godly ways and exercise authority over your own life. Number five, closely related to number four, is you have to remove that which diminishes or relinquishes your spiritual authority. You got to take it out of your life. For example, if you have sin in your life that you have not repented of and that you have not resolved, to that degree, you're given Satan authority in your life. Why does Satan have authority in the world? He has authority because of human sinfulness. That's how he could tempt Jesus in the wilderness and say, hey, look at all these kingdoms. I've got this authority. I can give it to you. He was tempting Jesus to take authority the easy way, which is never good. So if you've got sin, deal with it. Repent. And if you sin again, keep repenting and keep repenting and do it and do it and do it and do it until you get it out of your life. If it takes you 10 years, that's fine. But I tell you, as long as you're doing it, God will increase your authority. Or if you've got disobedience in any area, something you think you should do, you know you should do, but you haven't done, then do it. Obey God fully. If you've got rebellion in any area of your life, rebellion toward any legitimate authority, then you need to start cooperating with it. If you want to walk in spiritual authority, but you're cheating on your taxes, you've, that's rebellion and you're undermining your authority. So you need to walk in that authority. Cooperate with it as fully as possible. And you cooperate with authority for your own well-being and your own flourishing. And certainly, if there's any way that you've compromised with the world, or you've given in to anything that you know is worldly, it's of the world, it's not really fully God, or well, maybe it's okay to have a little bit of this, uh, then you need to deal with that compromise. I think this is a big reason why many Christians and many churches have little spiritual authority today. Because they've compromised with the world and succumbed to world, worldly ways of doing things. You need to go after personal holiness and faithfulness. Number six, the last one here. You need to exercise your spiritual authority. And you need to exercise it as Jesus desires and as Jesus directs for the well-being of other people and other groups. If you don't use it, you will lose it. 
If it's the muscle of your love, how do muscles grow? They grow through exercise. So you need to exercise your spiritual authority, but it's got to be according to God's will. That's revealed in the Bible. It needs to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. That's in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. It's got to follow these patterns. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. You need to exercise your authority in those ways. And you exercise your authority to serve among people. No, as a minister, I am not over you. I am among you. That's why when we have church meetings, I sit down. I don't stand up because we're together in this. Yeah, I'm at the front right now, but I'm still among you. You know me. I know you. We're, we're together in that. We have to serve among people. We can't lord it over people or take advantage of people like non-Christians do. So we use it. We use it in prayer. We use it by making declarations in the heavenly places, that spiritual realm around us. We can say, God, we're praying for Ukraine because you told us to pray for Ukraine. So we're going to keep praying for Ukraine. We've done it for the last two years. We'll do it for another two years or another 10 years until the situation is resolved according to the will of God. So you make a prayer or you make a declaration every Sunday morning. When, when we finish our worship team practice, we command demons to leave our presence. It's a declaration. It's not, oh God, make the big bag demons leave. It's no, in the name and authority of Jesus, every demonic spirit must leave our presence now. And you have the authority to do that. You can do that over your children. You can do that in your workplace. You can take that kind of authority because we have authority over all the demonic and we need to take a stand against demonic influence in our world. We need to exercise our authority by working for the benefit of others, putting in effort at work, at home, wherever we are, so that uh, to promote well-being in other people. We use the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has given us and use the resources that God has provided us as God directs us for the benefit of other people. And as we exercise it, we exercise it corporately, not just individuals. Even when you are an individual and you go into your workplace to exercise spiritual authority, you're doing so as part of the body of Christ, as long as you're part of the body of Christ, as long as you're living in that relationship. But you do that corporately. Our spiritual authority is a corporate authority the, kings, the keys of the kingdom are given to us together, not to us individually. And the corporate exercise of authority is exponentially greater than our individual authority. And we exercise our authority always showing humility, gentleness, mercy, and grace. You know what? I don't have to prove my authority. And anybody who tries to prove their level of authority doesn't have it. I'm not out to defend myself because God defends me. And that's not just me, it's you too. So you don't have to prove you have authority. You just have to exercise it as God tells you to do it. And then God will provide the power that God, as God does to achieve God's purposes. So beware of any leader 
You know that whole touch not the Lord's anointed. I've always said to people, if I ever say touch not the Lord's anointed, it's from the Old Testament. If I ever say it, slap me. And I mean that. Touch me in the face with vigor. With vigor. Unless you are a professional boxer, and in which case, <laughs> gently touch me. You know, that's uh, how that goes. Because God will defend your authority. And God is defending the authority of his church. We don't have to worry about that. We just need to walk into it. Jesus has given us, his bride, a tremendous spiritual authority to operate for his kingdom in the world. It's just what Paul said. And God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. Jesus is given to us. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is for us. He's the head of the church. And we are his body, and we are the fullness of Jesus who fills everything. That's who we are. That's what we walk in. And we do that every single day. Yes, we need to grow in that authority so that we might continue to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done. But do not be mistaken. God has delegated authority to his bride, to us. And Jesus has given us all authority and power in the Holy Spirit so that we can use our power and authority to make disciples of all nations and advance God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us authority. Jesus, thank you for giving us the authority that was given to you by the Father. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to grow in that authority by growing in our love. Let us grow in our love for you and let us grow in our love for one another and let us grow in our love for our workplace. Let us grow in our love for our school. Let us grow in our love for our neighborhood. Let us grow in our love for Chelsea. Let us grow in our love for London. Let us grow in our love for the United Kingdom. Let us grow in our love for the world so that we might grow in our authority and we might see your kingdom come and your will be done manifested in our lives as you work through the authority that you have given us to accomplish your will. We love you and we trust you and we worship you and we adore you. Help us to grow in that authority. Help us to walk in that authority and help us to use all the authority you've given us to bless other people and bring you the glory and praise you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together, shall we?